invite you to turn with me to uh, Romans uh, chapter 5. Uh, Romans chapter 5. We're going to begin reading at verse 12. It's found on page 1753. Romans 5, beginning at verse 12. As we just sang, our prayer is that God's word would uh, guide us in life uh, and guide us to be his people. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all people, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Imagine that you're just about ready to leave on a trip to Europe. You'd been planning this trip for some time. You had deferred the trip because about a year ago you discovered that you had a brain tumor. You had surgery. There were multiple complications, all of it over the course of nine months. But now you're ready. Uh, You've spent weeks packing and organizing. You're ready. And then four days before you leave, you seem to have trouble with your eyes. You head in very early the next day to see a neuro-ophthalmologist. The news looks bad. Abnormal pressure on your optic nerve. Waves of panic and horror sweep over you. You fear the worst. A regrowth of the tumor. The doctor orders a CAT scan for the same day. You have to wait for the results promised to be delivered later that day. The minutes drag by. Your thoughts run wild. Anguish grips your heart like a vice. You can barely breathe. That afternoon, you make your way to the doctor's office. You're filled with dread. And his first words sweep over you. You're going to be fine. CAT scan is clear. And in that half second, your life and future are restored. There's no tumor. There's not enough Kleenex to capture your tears of joy. Romans 5, 12 to 21 tells us of the danger the whole world faces. 
and how we escape mortal peril. Paul's words sweep over us. We've gained life in Christ and avoided a terrible destiny. Paul takes a step back to take a look at the big picture. In the earlier verses of chapter 5, Paul helped us see that we have hope of sharing in God's glory because we're in Christ. We're certain of salvation because of what God has done. We boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul paints a wide-angle landscape to help us see the basis for what he had just said. Remember, God made a covenant with Abraham to undo the sin of humanity. Humans had chased other gods, gods other than the Creator God. And as a result, humanity decayed. The original glory God intended for humanity to bear God's image in the world was marred. Now, sin and death rule. And humanity is captured in the power of sin, destined for death. Not only physical death, but also the spiritual death of being disconnected from God. But Paul let us know that God has put the world to rights. This wasn't something that humanity could do. God did it. God made the one man, Jesus the Messiah. The promises God made to Abraham were fulfilled through Jesus. So justified by faith through Jesus, we have hope for a new life with God. So Paul begins his sketch. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. Paul takes us all the way back, not to Abraham, but now to Genesis 1-3. to He assumes his readers know the story. Adam and Eve, created by God, placed in the Garden of Eden. They were given the whole garden except for just one tree. And they could choose to live in harmony with God, with each other, with creation, free from sin. But like many people, even people today, Eve first and then Adam, chose otherwise. Essentially, says one person, they said, if I can't have it all, then what I do have means nothing. Adam and Eve too chose disobedience. And ever since, there's been no choice. Sin dominates humanity. Sin and its favorite weapon, death, rule with an iron fist. Verse 12 is clear. First sin came through Adam and with sin came death. And death spread to all people because all people sin. We live in the kingdom of sin, a realm of death, an evil empire. And there's no means by which we can escape this partnership of sin and death. No one, not one person can choose to be born and live outside the reign and rule of sin. An old theological rhyme captures the truth about us. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. We cannot fathom how, but all of us, the whole multi-billion population of our world is bound up with Adam and Eve. We're implicated in the bad choice they made. They defied God's order, set themselves up as wiser than God, refused to accept their place, and all of us were right there with them. 
All of us, all people sinned in and with Adam. Sin and the death that results from sin are universal, which led someone to quip that the doctrine of original sin is the only empirically verifiable doctrine of the Christian faith. We are the proof of it. Now we expect that Paul will counter his statement of spiritual disaster for the human race with a balanced solution. Except Paul doesn't produce a balanced picture, at least not immediately. He begins by telling us that one man, that by one man, sin entered the world. And then Paul stops. I mean, we figured he would continue, so by one man God dealt with sin. But instead, Paul raises two issues he needs to explain first of all. The first issue he deals with is the matter of the law. He makes it clear that sin and death were present even before the law of Moses came. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Many Jews would have been confused by Paul's claim in verse 12 that all people had sinned and died. Many were sure that there couldn't be any sin and death apart from the law. But of course the story shows otherwise. Adam was given a direct command and he disobeyed. Israel too was given direct commands through Moses. They disobeyed. And in the in-between times, the earliest stories of humans include accounts of sin and death. Even though the law wasn't there to keep track, sin and death reigned. Nevertheless, says Paul, death reigned. Both those before the law and after the law were under the rule of death. Maybe Cain didn't have the commandment, you shall not murder, when he killed his brother Abel. But God made him aware that sin was ready to have him. And he demonstrated that sin and death ruled his life. Paul's point is that after the law of Moses was given, guilt grew with the awareness of God's commands. And all people all along faced death. They were disconnected from God. Even before the law of Moses was given, the disconnect from God was evident. Death ruled. Sin and death were no respecter of persons. Kind of think of them like a a coronavirus disease. Tim Keller points us in the right direction. We can put the logic this way. Disease and death reign just as much over nice people as over cruel people. Just as much over ignorant people as instructed people. Just as much over infants who haven't disobeyed deliberately as over adults. Sin and death afflict afflict everyone. Both humans individually and as a whole. Then Paul raises a second issue. The gift is not like the trespass. That word gift or grace occurs seven times in verses 15 to 17. Paul just wants to convey how lavish God's generosity is. Adam and his kind, that's us, get what we deserve. Death, judgment, condemnation. But putting human beings right is a far greater thing than simply reversing Adam's sin. One commentator notes this way. That one single misdeed should be answered by judgment. This is perfectly understandable. That the accumulated sins and guilt of all the ages should be answered by God's free gift. This is the miracle of miracles. Utterly beyond human comprehension. Paul points us to what we receive by the overwhelming grace of God. 
For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? The trespass and the gift are not equal and opposite. Death is purely negative. God's gift of life is so much greater than death's opposite. There's simply no comparison, says Paul, between the tragedy of humanity's sin and the results of God's gift. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. The negative verdict came as a direct result of humanity's sin, but there was nothing but sin and ruin all around. And what God offered in, in, to replace it, what God offered humanity, was far greater, says Paul. God made us far better than we were in the first place. Verse 17 raises the contrast to an even greater degree. By the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man. Look around our world. We know it's true. We see the dissolution and the corruption because of humanity's disobedience. But Paul doesn't posit an equal and opposite to death's reign. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now, we would expect the other half of what Paul says in contrast to the reign of death to be the reign of life. But Paul goes even further. Not only does Jesus the Messiah cancel the effects of Adam's sin, but to all who have received God's abundant grace and the gift of righteousness, there's not just the experience of life, but they reign in life. Those who receive the gift of membership in God's covenant family, who've been given the status by God of being right with God, will reign. We get so much more than just life. Paul points to our amazing future. One day, fully redeemed humans will reign with Christ. You see, Paul paints the biggest picture possible. From Adam to Messiah to reigning with Christ in the age to come. And then Paul returns to the thought he began in verse 12. And he points us to the reign of God's grace. And he sums up the message of Romans to this point. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. If we wanted to put it simply, we might say Paul's message is, God has done it, and God will do it. Of course, the word God doesn't occur anywhere in these verses. But notice, Paul speaks about the result of the act of Jesus in these verses. And then we'll notice in just a minute that Paul speaks of grace in verses 20 and 21. What Paul wants us to see is that God's saving plan has been put into effect. First, again, Paul points us to Adam. But this time, unlike verse 12, Paul finishes his thought. He points us from Adam to Jesus the Messiah. 
God's beautiful and good world was spoiled by human rebellion. And humanity is stuck in sin. And for this we are condemned. We are sinners. It's why the church has this season of the year called Lent. It's a season that reminds us that we're not pretty good people who sometimes do bad things. Lent doesn't allow us to point the finger away from ourselves and point it elsewhere. It's not just other people, people out there who mess up God's intention for creation. We do. We fail. We cheat. We slander. We posture to get applause. We are flawed people. We reveal the nature of our flaws by our repeated acts of sin. Without Christ, we are captured in the wilderness of sin. But Jesus enters that wilderness to defeat the enemy who holds us. Through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Jesus embodied God's covenant faithfulness and faithfully obeyed as Israel should have obeyed but failed to. The gospel points us early on in Jesus' ministry to a head-to-head combat in which Jesus confronts the enemy, also known as Satan. He entered the desert and was tempted. Tempted to forsake God's word and God's way. But notice, instead, he used God's word to live God's way. After 40 days of fasting, the tempter said to him, Since you're God's son, speak the word that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. And Jesus simply replied in the words of Deuteronomy, It takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. So the tempter took him to the holy city, to the top of the temple. And again, he said that since Jesus was God's son, he should jump. And then he quoted God's word from Psalm 91. He's placed you in the care of angels. They will catch you so that you won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Jesus refused. And again, he cited Deuteronomy. Don't dare test the Lord your God. Finally, the tempter took him to the peak of a high mountain and he gestured all around to all the surrounding kingdoms and lands. And he promised Jesus that he could have it all, lock, stock, and barrel, if he just bent his knee in worship. And Jesus had enough. Beat it, Satan, he said. And then he quoted from Deuteronomy a third time, Worship the Lord your God and only Him. Serve Him with absolute single-heartedness. Jesus refused to be duped by the evil that had infected God's good world. He obeyed to the point of going all the way to the cross of death to enact God's saving plan. See, Lent reminds us that we are a people who need to be saved. But Lent also reminds us that we can be a new people because of Jesus. Paul says justified in verse 18 with the status of being in the right in verse 19. Jesus' obedience marked the beginning of a whole new humanity. Now, some Jews, including Paul, thought the law was the beginning of a new model of humanity. And then Paul met Jesus. And Jesus changed Paul's view of the law. 
Oh yes, Israel was called to be different. And God gave them the law in order to make that a reality. But when the law arrived in Israel, it didn't mark them as a new humanity. Instead, it amplified their failings. The law drew attention to sin, but the law was powerless to do anything about sin. Our newness comes from Jesus the Messiah. We're marked by His grace. We're no longer defined by our failures or our successes. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin no longer reigns. Its rule over the world has been broken. God's reign of grace moves forward toward the life of the age to come. No more wilderness of sin. Instead, God in faithfulness has set us right through Jesus the Messiah. And the day is coming when God will usher us into a new creation where all wrongs will be put right. Paul steps back to give us the big picture. One man's sin meant death for all human beings, for all of us. One man's obedience to the point of death means life for all human beings. We cannot attain a new humanity by ourselves. There's no new son of daughter, son of Adam or daughter of Eve coming from our ranks. There is only the one new human being, Jesus, the Messiah. He's the one who's conquered sin and death. He's the one who overcame the powers of the tempter. And we can only participate in His victory over sin and death through the cross. It's not enough to be aware of evil. It's not enough to be indignant about evil. I mean, our world pressures us with multiple lifestyle options. Get a job, make lots of money, buy the the car, flatten your abs, invest in stocks, acquire real estate. The promise is that we will be free and life will be limitless. And it's a lie. It is all a lie. Because none of these things give life. Sin and death reign in all of them. They are all fraudulent saviors. And we must die to them all. And we can. Because here's the good news. We stand in God's grace. Our Savior, Jesus the Messiah, was born into the world of Adam, but he never succumbed to the sin of Adam. He is the one who shouldered the death of Adam in order to redeem us all from sin and death. And he's opened the door for us To die to sin's power. And he opened the door for us. To enter into. Grace. 
and life. And we get a taste of His grace and life at the table that He's prepared for us. We come here with our hearts lifted up in praise. We praise our gracious God because He created heaven and earth and made us in His image and kept covenant with us even when we fell into sin. And we give thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, because by His grace we triumph over temptation. And we're more fervent in prayer and able to be more generous in love. So with all the saints and angels in the whole creation, we proclaim the glory of God's name. For the Lord Jesus on the night when he was arrested, took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Living God, send your Holy Spirit upon us as we share your heavenly meal. Nourish us with your grace so that we're strengthened to do your work in this world. Unite us with you so that we're renewed. And join us with your covenant people throughout time and space so that all divisions will be healed. May we gratefully and joyfully remember that Jesus, our Savior, lived, died, and rose to give us new life and to make us new creations in Him. May we live in the hope that we discover through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.